0: And I might take Janet out there. Janet's an artist. And Janet might say, you know, I look at the mountains, and what I see is what what the sun does on the mountains and the different colors that that come out on the mountains. It's very beautiful. And uh, that's what I enjoy about the mountains. And then I might talk to someone like Dale and and put Dale out there. And I say, Dale, what do you see? And he says, you know, those mountains have been there. I grew up in this area. I was born and raised here. I know those mountains forwards and backwards, and I I truly love them, and they're very beautiful. So, three different people, three different eyewitnesses' accounts to what they see up in the mountains, and this is very similar to what we see in the Synoptic Gospels. Okay, each one of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, they're all written from eyewitness accounts, but if you notice, they're all somewhat different. And it's not because they're inaccurate but it's because they're from a different perspective, different people writing them, and each author has a different perspective or message he's trying to, trying to give. So today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take a break from Kings and we're going to go back into Matthew, and specifically we're going to look at Matthew 4, 12-22. So what's Matthew trying to accomplish in his Gospel? He's trying to establish that uh, is Jesus' Messianic identity, okay? But this gospel is written primarily to the Jews to try to show the Jews that Jesus is king. It's kind of an evangelical book, if you will. And that's the perspective that he's he's writing from. So we've been jumping back and forth between Kings and, and Matthew. So let's go over what we've, learned so far in Matthew in chapters 1 through 4 up to this point what Matthew has done is he's established Jesus lineage and uh, the fact that Jesus is the son of David um, he checks all those messianic boxes you know we've, we've covered Jesus and his family traveled all over and as they were doing this they were fulfilling some of these prophecies that you see in the Old Testament and it also confirms, as we saw, that, that Jesus is Messiah through his baptism, right? We went through that, uh, that, those verses that dealt with Jesus' baptism. And then finally, what brings us up to here was, if you remember when David preached, I don't know how many weeks ago that was, the last time we were in Matthew, we talked about Jesus being tempted, okay? And we saw that Jesus, as the new Adam, he was successful where the old Adam wasn't, and he, and he didn't give in to that temptation. So that brings us up to where we are today. And this is a transition point, because as you'll see, all the prophecies have now been fulfilled to this point, and this establishes Jesus, and Jesus is going to start his ministry. So it's a transition point between setting him up as... as what we talked about, and then going into his ministry. So this is where he starts his ministry. So what we're going to take a look at is we're going to take a look at where Jesus started his ministry, kind of his headquarters, if you will. And then we'll get into his opening speech, the speech that kind of kicks off this, uh, this journey. And then we're going to look at him choosing his, his uh, support team. Okay? That's where we're going. So the main idea today, if the, your main takeaway, is that Jesus does amazing things through people and places that you would never suspect. You'd never, you'd never think that this is what, who he's choosing. Okay. And the exhortation is, repent and follow Jesus. Okay, so let's go into the text. We'll read the text, we'll pray, and then we'll get into, the, into the, uh, checking out what's going on. So if we'll go to Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we'll get into verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, In the boat with Zebedee, their father mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, and I thank you for the opportunity to present this part of your word to this congregation. Please help me to stay on point and to clearly and logically preach this sermon so it is understood and taken to heart so we can further glorify your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's take a uh, look at, uh, at verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. So what's going on here? What are we, what's, what's happening? And you have to go forward to Matthew 14 verses 3 and 4, to kind of get an idea of what, what's going on. So actually, in Matthew, we jump ahead to see what's going on, what we're doing here. So what's going on is John the Baptist, of course, he was, he was preaching and doing his thing. And he kind of got cr- across uh, the bow, if you will, of, of Herod and got that family upset because what he did was he told Herod's brother that, uh, that the, his marriage to his wife was unlawful. That didn't go over too well, and, and, uh, and he got arrested. Now, as the Wednesday night Bible group knows, a lot of times the messengers get shot, and it's because uh, the people receiving the message don't like what they're hearing. And that's the case with, uh, with John the Baptist. So, so he, uh, he gets arrested... And Jesus heads off to Galilee. Why Galilee? Seems an odd choice to start to begin his ministry. So if, I, if I'm starting a big business, and let's say Amazon, I'm looking someplace, I'm going to put my corporate headquarters. I might look to maybe New York City, L.A., maybe Chicago, someplace where the movers and shakers are, someplace that, that I can be out and get my get our name out. Okay. Jesus picks Galilee. <laughs> Why Galilee? Galilee's not Jerusalem. I would think if I was choosing a headquarters, I'm gonna start my ministry, I was gonna I'd go to Jerusalem. That's where all the movers and shakers are, that's where all the all the politics is happening, that's where all the religious leaders are. But he goes to Galilee. And what's Galilee? Well Galilee is up in the northern part of Palestine. It's actually the northern tier of Palestine. And it's an interesting place because that's where the first uh, exile took place. That's, they were taken first. They went up when they went into the Babylonian exile. And while they were gone, the Gentiles kind of moved in. So when they came back, now you've got the Jews and the Gentiles there. And that wasn't real popular with the, with the Jewish people. So you'll see in verse 15 that they call it the Galilee of the Gentiles. Okay, that's, that's like saying uh, America, the melting pot. Galilee of the Gentiles, because there's a mixture there. But the Jews didn't, didn't care for that, because they thought the, the Jews there were kind of lax in the law. They kind of thought that they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. So they were kind of looked down upon. And uh, they, they just weren't considered biblically pure. Now, that choice also raised some eyebrows in Jerusalem. Uh, I'll bring your attention here to uh, John chapter 7, verse 41. And they talk about how can, how can the Christ come from Galilee? That's just not possible. Christ can't come from Galilee. Okay. And also further on in John... You get John uh, 52, chapter 7, verse 52, where he says, where they, again, they confront him and say, the prophets prophets can't come from Galilee. Well, how could anybody, you know, how could a prophet come from Galilee? That's, that, that's those guys up there that they don't have their act together. So it wasn't a popular choice with uh, the, the Jews in, in Jerusalem. But Galilee's a great choice, as we'll see. And Dan read the, read the section from Isaiah, and if you can bring that up uh, uh, verse uh, we're looking at verse 13 through 16. So this fulfills the prophecy. This is the last prophecy that has to be fulfilled before Jesus starts his ministry. And you'll notice there that it, it says that, that he has to, he needs to start from Galilee. OK? The other thing is you notice the, the talk about light and darkness and, and uh, contrasting the light and darkness. And the great light that is referred to, of course, is Jesus Christ. And uh, this is Jesus Christ that's dawning over the darkness, if you will. So we all know that darkness can't be lifted without, without God's, uh, God's grace. So... This was a good place to be. And it also sent the message that Jesus was here for sinners. Okay? Jesus wasn't just here for the Jews. He was here for everybody. And what a logical place to start, but this mixing pot, if you will, up in Galilee. So now he's got his location. His headquarters is sent in Galilee. And now he's getting ready to begin. He's going to have his opening speech. And again, something I used was opening speech, one sentence and that is uh, in verse 17 one simple sentence repent for the kingdom of heaven is 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 near now what's what's repent mean we get into this discussion a lot in bible study what repent means and it means more than just kind of saying i'm sorry now i know there's a lot of you out there that had younger siblings i grew up with a younger brother And my younger brother, just like a lot of younger siblings, knew how to push my buttons and did it routinely. And it got to the point sometimes where I'd just haul off and slug him, in which time he would go to my mother and and report the news that I had slugged him. And then my mom would come down and say, that was a bad thing to do. You need to apologize to your brother. You, okay, sorry, sorry, Tim. I'm sorry. Well, I, I wasn't least bit sorry. I was, <laughs> but it did get me out of trouble, and uh, we were able to press on. So, so saying you're sorry—that's not repentance. What is repentance? I'm gonna—it's—it it, comes from a Hebrew word that actually means change or convert. Change or convert. So let's go into the Old Testament. Let's have a few passages there, and you can take a look and see. Uh, How they define it in the Old Testament. Let's look at Jonah, three six. And as he's bringing that up, I'm going to read that. Jonah three six. He says, (coughs) "The word reached the king of." Uh, Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of their disaster. Another reference to that, let's bring up uh, Isaiah 55, 7. Isaiah says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Okay. Turn, forsake, let the evil forsake his way. And then one more reference, Ezekiel 18, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Again, there's that, uh, that conversion, that changing, what we've been talking about in that definition. So you notice that there's two parts really to when we talk about repentance. And the first part is, of course, recognizing, recognizing your sins and, and being sorry for your sins. Um, that's kind of a, I don't know how many people do that. I don't know how many of us do that. Sit down t- periodically and just, just uh, take count of our sins and, and repent of, and be sorry for our sins. I mean, we're all sinners. It's a fallen world. We're all sinners. That's the reason why we're all in this church. But it, it, that's something we need to do routinely is, is account for the sins that, that uh, we've committed and recognize that those sins separate us from the Father. And I know a lot of us uh, think, oh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm a good person. Really, my sins aren't that big a deal. But they are because, again, every sin that we commit is a transgression against God. That's the easy part. I said there were two parts to repentance. The second part is you have to turn away from your sin and turn toward, toward, toward Jesus. Okay? Now, for me, in the example I gave you, I mean, it was really easy to figure out that, that my sin was slugging my brother. That was the easy part, saying, I'm sorry. But the harder part is turning away from that. So the next time <laughs> that that he did, he pushed my buttons, that I, I would turn away from that and I wouldn't repeat my sin. That's, that's the, the hardest part. But a few other things about repentance that we, that we see here is, uh, first of all, you notice that repentance comes before the kingdom comes, right? You have to repent before the kingdom comes. Our repentance doesn't bring that. Bring that. It isn't a cause and effect. We are we as individuals uh, don't bring about the coming of the kingdom. Okay, and it puts all the pressure on us to repent. Okay. And the other thing that's very interesting is repentance is a gift from God. If you take a look at uh, Second Timothy. Uh, chapter 2, verses 25 through 26. You notice what he says in there. He says, God may perhaps grant them repentance. Notice that's God granting the repentance. Okay? It's a gift. Another place to take a look is in Acts, chapter 11, verse 18. And he says there as well, he says, God may... Then to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance. Repentance is grant get, Repentance is a gift that we should embrace. So now we got our headquarters established. Jesus made his opening speech. Now he's got to put his team together. He's got to choose his team. We've all been there. We've all been in gym class where we're going to play dodgeball and we're gonna pick teams, okay? So what do they do? They take the two most athletic individuals in the class, they make them the captains, they take turns choosing teams, choosing their team one by one. And what are they looking for? In this particular case, they're looking for the, the one that can throw the ball the hardest. So we're gonna choose the, the teammates that can throw the ball the hardest. We're also gonna try to find those agile people that can that can dodge the ball, right? So they're going to go back and forth, and they're picking their teams, and it gets down to the end where it's me and the kid with a ri- his wrist in a cast. And you know how that ends up. What's that? <laughs> you, you know me, Right? So if you look at verses 18 through 22... Jesus is choosing his team. Now if I was do, choosing Jesus' team, I would take a look at what I'm going to do, and I say, "You know, first of all, I'd probably want to have a centurion. I'd want someone that can kind of guard us, keep us, protect us and all that kind of stuff. And I'd probably look for a good cook. We're traveling around all the time. I want someone that can prepare meals. I might find someone like Dennis, a, a CPA that keep our finances uh, in line. That's the kind of team that I'd I'd want to put together if I'm starting a ministry and going out into the world to minister. That's not what Jesus does. What does Jesus do? He picks fishermen right off the bat. Insignificant fishermen. What in the world is going on there? So he, uh, and it doesn't happen. If you look at the exchange, he tells them, if we got that up, Matt, can you bring up... Uh, Uh, those verses. As he's bringing it up. So what he did was he says, he just walks by, he's walking by and says, follow me. And they say, yea, verily, they drop everything, follow him. Now, you know, what's, what's missing from this exchange? Well, first of all, I can't imagine if I'm fishing there and, and this guy walks by and says, follow me, that I'm just going to drop everything and do that. <laughs> what? Yeah, go on. Talk to somebody else. Or I might say, follow you. Well, what are we doing? What are we going to do? Follow you do what? You know, how much am I getting paid? You know, What's, what's the health care? We get, we get benefits for this? What, what are we doing here? I mean, that's, that's what you would think would be the exchange. And on the flip side of that, you look at Jesus just walking by and saying, follow me. You would think, you know, perhaps he'd just go up and say, hey, my name's Jesus. Here's my business card. You know, let's have lunch. We'll talk this over. Give me a call. You know, but that doesn't happen that way. Jesus says, follow me. And uh, they follow him. Why, why does that happen? Just re- keep in mind what Matthew is trying to do here. He's trying to show you that Jesus is king, right? So when a king says something, he says, follow me. That's a royal order. And by golly, if you recognize that Jesus is king, what are you going to do? I'm going to drop everything and I'm going to follow him, right? These are, these are extremely powerful words. I mean, look at John, look at the, the second brothers, James and John. They had a boat. This is a big deal. You know, when you, can, when you own a boat back in those days, that's huge. They just walked away from the boat. They walked away from their father. Okay, very powerful words. But what, what makes disciples? It's the Word. And the Word makes disciples. Now, something I didn't know and I thought was very interesting in uh, rabbinic speech, when you're dealing with rabbis and students, follow me becomes, become my students. So when he said follow me from the rabbinic tradition, that meant come and become my students. But that's not the cultural norm back then. Because what happens back in those days is the students seek out the teacher. Okay? They, they find a teacher, Dale's a rabbi, I'm gonna, I want to study under Dale, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek Dale out and say, hey, you know, can I study under you? That doesn't happen here. Again another unusual twist of events here Jesus is actually going after his his students or his followers but you know that that's how it happens nobody comes to the lord on their own initiative and i just lost my microphone no one comes under comes to jesus under their own initiative they come because they're called Now, look at John uh, 15, 16. Notice what Jesus says here. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Right? And that's what he's doing here. But not only is he making them his students, his disciples, whatever, he's going to make them fishers of men. Fishers of men. Well, what does that mean? I'm going to be a fisher of men. I'm certainly not going to go out with a net, my brother and I, and throw it over somebody and catch them. That's not what he means. If you go back uh, again, if you, if you, for our Bible study group, we've seen this before, the fishers of men, and we saw that in Jeremiah 16, 16. In Jeremiah 16, 16, they mention fishers of men. But there's a big difference here because the fishers of men in Jeremiah they're actually capturing people that they, they have to go into exile. So they're, they're fishing for men in a different sense. That's not what Jesus has in mind here. They are going to uh, go out and evangelize. That's exactly what he's talking about. Let's bring up Matt, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, because we're called to do the same thing. We're actually called to do the same thing, to be fishers of men actually going so in Matthew 1037 uh, through39 whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will take for my sake will find it and i read the wrong passage but hey i'm a i'm an elder i can make mistakes like that but they're being asked to drop everything and that's what this passage i just read talked about dropping everything so if i would ask you what are you willing to drop for Jesus? I'm sure I would get everybody in the congregation to say, "Boy, I'd give up everything for Jesus. I'd give up my life for Jesus." And I'd say, "You know, let's take a long, hard look at that. Would, is that what you would really do? What are you willing What are you willing to give up to follow Jesus? And let's look at a couple of examples. For example, let's look at material things. You know, James and uh, James and John g- got rid of a boat. You know, would would you get rid of a boat? Would you you sacrifice if, you know, David's not here with us today. David had trucks that he had in his business. Would you give up some of your business trucks to follow Jesus? I don't think so. Um, Let's talk about about, uh, tithes and offerings, for example. Would you give more money to our church plant in West Virginia that we support if you knew that that extra money would convert one more person and, and, and get the word out to them? Would you do that? I, I don't know. That's something that we all, myself included, that's something we've got to take a good hard look at. What would we sacrifice to follow Jesus? You know, would we give an extra few dollars to the food pantry, knowing that that money helps feed many people in this county would you be willing to do that let's look at time times another commodity that we, that we have you know how much time are you willing to commit to the work of jesus you know i look at uh, uh, you know would you be willing to sacrifice 2 hours or a couple hours a month to work at the food pantry to help those people that are that are in need of food um, how about cooking meals? We just talked about providing meals to folks in the, in the congregation that are really hurting. Would you be willing to, to cook more meals and help, uh, help people? Again, what would you sacrifice? Um, how about Joyce's Lunch? Joyce's Lunch is going to start up here shortly, and we have volunteers that help that. That's a community thing that we do. We do a lunch once a month, and then the community members... People in the community—it's a free lunch—and but it relies on volunteers, volunteers to help provide, to uh, provide me a uh, food, right, and cook and and serve. Are you willing to sacrifice some of your time to serve some of the people in the community? Um, what about uh, how about one hour a week to study the Bible? with people in the congregation that's tough what do you mean you want me to come out to, to, to church on wednesday night to study the bible for an hour well you think about it okay come into sunday school come in an hour early to church for sunday school what are you willing to sacrifice to pick up the cross and follow jesus and again I ask you, you know, this is this is a question you have to ask yourself and, and when you go home here after service and through the week ask yourself, what am I willing to sacrifice? What am I willing how am I willing to get out of my comfort zone to follow Jesus? What is Jesus worth? You know, he dry, he died on the cross for salvation for those that repented and, and repent and follow him he died on the cross gave his life for us what are we willing to give back would we be like the brothers and drop everything and i'm not suggesting i'm not standing up here and suggesting that every you know right now that the senate sell everything that they've got and uh, put on some robes and go out and serve as as starving missionaries. I mean, that could be what they would like to do, but I'm not suggesting that everybody needs to do that. But there is there are ways that we all can sacrifice to, to serve Jesus. I would just hope that we would, we would be in a position that we would want to sacrifice everything, even our lives, for the work of Jesus. So what we started out this morning, we started looking at... Uh, The beginning of the ministry, the transition point between Jesus growing up, his being tempted, his baptism so much, and transitioning to his ministry. And we took a look at his setting up his headquarters in Galilee, why that wasn't a dumb idea, that it was much smarter than going into Jerusalem. Uh... For, the di- for fulfilling the prophecy, and also it's, it was a good place to start to, to show that he was going to serve sinners, and uh, we looked at repentance, what repentance meant, and it wasn't just saying sorry, mom, but there was two points, uh, two parts of repentance, and then we talked about his his choosing his his first disciples. So I leave you with this with this final question. What would you do when you're asked to follow Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for this day again, and I thank You for, this, for Your Word. And I pray that each and every one of us can take a good hard look at what the brothers did when they became disciples and take a look at what we can do to get out of our comfort zones and what we can do to sacrifice to an ever-loving God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.